I think, you know, I'd always like more of that. I think, uh, you know, the, the whole work-life balance concept to me, it, it's, um, there shouldn't be such a, a stark divide that work is this inherently bad thing and, and life outside of it is good. You know, there's, there's good and bad on both sides. Um, you know, I, I try and keep somewhat odd hours to be able to spend some of the awake time with my kids and, and wife and, um, certainly could always do more of that, but could always do more on the business too. And, and so I try and avoid, uh, feeling too much regret about either side because there's, there's never a perfect approach and, and not enough time in the day to do both nearly as well as I'd like to. Listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm listeners, welcome back. We are so excited to have a new sponsor joining us on the show. It is C3 Bike Shop. They have two locations here in the Colorado Front Range, one located in Golden on South Golden Road and one located in Denver on Tejon Street. Wade is the owner. He's an amazing dude. I've known him for over 10 years. Our history began together back when he worked at Treads in Lakewood. He went on to start his own store, and he now owns two locations. They are a Cannondale dealer, among other brands. I recently picked up my first e-bike from C3. It's a Stromer, which is a Swiss brand uh, made by the folks over at um, BMC, essentially. Uh, Wade is just an incredible bike expert. When it comes to really building a custom bike, especially if you have certain hubs, certain spokes, certain rims, certain build, um, we were talking the other day about oval chain rings. We were getting all geeked out about how we were going to build up a new road bike for me. And this is really the place to go if you want to have that kind of detail and attention paid to your ride. Wade and his crew are offering our listeners 10% off if you go into either location and you mention my name, the last name Hotman, or the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. So definitely pay Wade a visit. Be sure to say hello to Brandon down at the Tejon Street, as well as our good friend Lauda as well. And if you meet Wade at either location, be sure to give him a big hug for us. He is one of those outstanding people who, frankly, just makes the world a better place. And so does his bike shop. So do us a favor. Stop in to C3. Make them your local bike shop and tell them you heard about them on the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. It has been a couple weeks. Apologies for the radio silence on this end. I've decided to really be selective with the guests and instead of intentionally trying to crank out an episode or two every week, really choosing to host guests that are inspiring and thought-provoking, which may mean that there is a bit more time and space between episodes as we move forward, really working hard to bring value to our listeners and just an extra special thanks again to our partners over at Relish Studio they are continuing their commitment to help us edit these episodes. They're doing me a huge favor in doing that, and they're really making these episodes fun to listen to and just can't say thanks enough. So make sure you check out Relish Studio if you need any digital marketing, podcast editing, or media help. They are your people. Make sure you ask for Stu. Um, sitting here, it's 
April 30th. I can't believe that this year is already four months in the rearview mirror. Uh, it's been an incredible 2019, and there are just some really cool things in the works in my life personally and professionally. Um, and just want to say, as I'm staring out the window, looking at some late spring snow here in Colorado, summer is coming, and I hope that you have some really big, exciting, and fun plans and aspirations for your summer whether it's athletic or just travel and vacation, just enjoying life quite a bit. Um, whatever that looks like, I hope you can see it and that it's close enough that it gives you something to look forward to. I actually turned 40 here in about 10 days, and as much as I have tried to outrun it and avoid it, the inevitable is upon me, and with that has come a lot of thought and self-assessment and really um, looking inside for kind of where I want the second half of my life to go. It's interesting because in the cases that we work on at work, many of the times my letters to the insurance company that we're suing includes reference to the U.S. Um, Bureau statistics with respect to mortality. And we often reference the client's age, and then we look on the table and we look at their age and their nationality, and then we look at what their life expectancy is based on their current age, based on their gender. And it struck me that as many times as I have done that for clients and have used their life expectancy as part of the presentation of their case, I have never evaluated the mortality table in regards to my own age and my life expectancy. And so I did that. And um, according to the numbers, I'm not quite halfway there, but I'm close. So it's given me a lot to think about, and I'm sure that many who have turned 40 before me have gone through this a little bit, but it's a really great time to be introspective and curious. I just read an incredible book called Seven by Jen Shoemaker. I believe she also has a podcast, um, and she's definitely worth giving a listen to if you've not heard her before. The concept of the book is that um, for seven different months, I'm sorry, her last name is Hatmaker, Jen Hatmaker. And the book is called Seven. Um, for one month, she only eats seven types of food. For one month, she only wears seven items of clothing. For one month, um, they really pare down on their spending. Um, it's just a really interesting time. One of the months, they really honor Sundays being their family's rest day. And so they intentionally don't schedule anything on their Sundays. Um, one of the days, she intentionally pauses and reflects and prays seven times a day. It was just a really powerful read for me. And there were several really poignant um, takeaways from that book, and I highly recommend it if you haven't read it. So that's kind of the space I'm in. It's almost summer. I'm staring at some snow, and with that, today's guest is Jason. Jason was a referral from a previous guest, Drew Chambers, who you heard talk about this new startup he's working for called Chorus, and Jason is actually the owner and founder of Chorus, which is a um, software program intended to help companies make sense of their customer feedback and customer surveys. And of course, we all know that we're getting surveys right and left anymore, and we're wondering, you know, are companies even paying attention to the things that we have to say? Um, and so Jason talks about that, and he also talks about why it matters and what companies are doing with that data. But more importantly, and more to the point of this podcast, the reason I wanted to have Jason on the show is he's one of those people that genuinely looks to have things figured out. He's a business owner, he's a dad, he's a husband, former collegiate athlete, as well as his wife being a collegiate athlete. How are they balancing fun and fitness and family with the demands of startup life? And he talks about that intentionality and 
how hard he works for the balance, which sometimes even means uh, working odd hours in order to have time with his family during the daytime. I just really respect people like this who are going through life, uh, what I would call wide awake as opposed to half asleep and just doing it very intentionally. So you're going to hear Jason talk about the startup, his past, his history, how he got to where he is today, how he and his wife balance all the things. And I found it incredibly inspiring, and I hope that you do too. Um, I think people like this give us hope that as difficult sometimes as striking that balance seems, it is possible, but it is something that you have to fight for every day. And you'll hear Jason talk about he tries his best, and he also works hard to feel or to avoid feeling too much regret about either personal life or professional life, um, noting that there's never exactly a perfect approach for both or for either one. So we're all a work in progress, and I think the important thing is just to recognize that we're doing our best, and uh, every day is a new opportunity to improve. So with that, listeners, happy almost May 1st, 2019. Thanks, as always, for listening, and have an awesome day. Fair enough. Well, um, Jason, thanks so much for joining me on the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast by way of introduction through our mutual friend, Drew Chambers. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have you been on a podcast before, my friend? Uh, A couple of times, and uh, I don't know that anyone's ever heard me on a podcast before, so this may be new on that front. Meaning you've recorded them, but no one got to hear them? Well, just meaning that, uh, you know, friends who have... uh, very low followings. So uh, (laughs) fair enough. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. Well, when you sent me your bio, the first thing, and I want to get into your startup and all the exciting stuff you're doing, but the first thing that jumped out at me, and perhaps it's just because this topic is swirling in my universe right now a lot, is the fact that you've built this really successful empire with no debt. And I would love to talk to you about that because that's the same way I started my practice. And I'm a firm believer in running lean, keeping low overhead and not taking on debt to grow. So where does that mindset come from? Yeah, I think, you know, for one thing, I hate having debt. I hate, hate owing people money. Um, so it's you know, just a little bit of a upbringing thing uh, that, that goes to that a little bit. Um, I think there's also uh, some discipline that, that forces early in the process of building a business that uh, is really antithetical to a lot of the ways that other businesses that are obviously doing great on some metrics now uh, may struggle in uh, in a downturn. So right. I think that's a really healthy part of, of how we've operated things. And then I also think we've been extremely lucky to be able to, to do that. I, I don't want to discredit uh, all the, the good fortune we've had that others maybe don't have that, that make it possible for us to have customers that pay us enough to pay our bills. And uh, that's not always entirely our, uh, our actions. It, it's, a, it's a lot of lucky steps and, and connections and people that have helped us along the way. So I want to talk about the actual business and we'll tell the listeners what, what you're meaning when you're saying we and, and the product that you're selling to customers and service. Um, but I would venture to bet in your space, you see people that do go out and rack up a bunch of debt to build this big, pretty exciting thing. And, you know, what have your observations been about that? And even just the person, what is their demeanor? What is their stress level? What is their lifestyle? Are they in good health with that kind of debt? Yeah, I think um, everybody handles 
debt and, and outside capital in, in different ways and everybody handles stress at work in different ways. Um, I think from, from our perspective, we've got plenty of stress. I don't need to add to that. Uh, that's <laughs> certainly uh, not high on my priority list is, is let's add stress today. Um, but it, it's, you know, certainly on, on the debt side, having a commitment, having an obligation to repay, uh, I don't see that as an optional thing. And, and we joke about this with clients that pay late, like they see invoice dates as a suggestion. Uh, <laughs> that's not oh how, how we operate. And, and obviously, uh, you know, I, I, I laugh uh, some of our, our legal bills when we went over and paid them uh, in person because our, our offices were across the street from, uh, from our lawyers for a while. And they were like just shocked that we would walk a check to them on time. And I was like, well, what other option is there? It's a, you sent me a bill, I owe you money, I, I pay you the money. Um, but Interesting. I think, uh, you know, and I see folks who've raised money, the pressure that they're under to grow quickly. Right. You know, we're not opposed to that. And, and we actually are in the process of, of raising some money now because we've gotten to a really good place. Um, and growth is important for the next phase of our business. But it's it's something that I think uh, has allowed others to operate in ways that are at times uh, immature or, or you know just a little bit loose uh, in, in over investing in things that maybe aren't worth it. And so uh, I think that's put us in a better position now than if we had raised money and, and made mistakes at higher cost uh, than we have to date. Well, and I can just hear from your voice and the way you talk about it, that the no debt lifestyle and approach to business, and I suspect your own personal life, gives you a lot of breathing room and a lot less anxiety than some of your, your counterparts. I, maybe. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be the sort of person who doesn't pay their bills. I don't know if that's... Uh, <laughs> you're right, you're right. If, if when you get a bill and that's how you view it as optional, if that's really stress-free, but yeah, no. That's I, a good I, point. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> It, it definitely avoids things piling up. Sure, sure. And not being in control of your destiny and having to generate things that are maybe less than or taking clients that you aren't stoked on or whatever the case may be simply because you have a, a, a repayment that is that is owed. Um, and you, you referenced uh, upbringing. Uh, is, was this a familial theme? This was the way that your parents raised you? Yeah, I guess to, to put it in less flowery terms, uh, come from just a long line of really cheap people. Um, so, okay. it, uh, now my, my father was in banking and, and, uh, so a little bit on the other side where those debts feel like uh, they're owed to you. I, I think as I approach any conversation we have in business or in, in raising capital, I'm, I try to be empathetical to the other side of the table and, uh, the challenges, the stressors, the, the motivations that they have and how they view the conversation as well. And, and so I've seen the other side, I, I get what that means to, Put your faith in someone uh you owe them something in return and, and that's to, to make that faith good yeah indeed well i think it's an okay way to live and i just appreciate that about you and that popped out you know when i was reviewing your your life story and so let's talk about this thing that you've built so how does one wake up one morning and say i'm going to launch a startup how does that happen uh, I think, you know, we, we often kind of joke that we were terrible employees. And so it was really the uh, only, only next step was to, uh, to not have bosses anymore. But, uh -huh. um, on a more serious level, we, several of us come from being consultants, several of us come from being statisticians and, 
Uh, you can kind of shake the consultant title, but you don't really shake being a statistician. Uh, the, the folks on our team that are really quantitatively gifted, um, you know, are, are unbelievable in, in the things that we do. And I can share a little bit more about that as well. But we were buyers uh, in the space. Uh, so as consultants, we were buying a lot of data from uh, various research companies and, and at times looking for the final output of research. The timelines, the budgets were uh, unbelievable to us for what was being done. And so it was some combination of frustration and jealousy that made us say, let's go do that. That, that seems like it's easier and more lucrative than, than what we're doing now. Uh, and it takes a certain amount of naivete to not appreciate that there are challenges in any business. And uh, so that's what we decided to go start. It was a market research business where we sell uh, really interesting, unique data sets and, and insights to clients of all types. And uh, it's been a lot of fun learning about the world through our clients. And what do you love most about it other than the fact that you are totally in charge of your day and how your time is spent? Yeah, I think, you know, of, of all the things about uh, running this business that are, are best from our view, one of the things we talk about is, is that you can, you, you deal every day with your coworkers and you deal with customers, uh, whether you call them clients or customers. And you really can't control totally your customer, your clients, and, and the type of people that they always are. Uh, we can to a degree here, certainly more so than we worked uh, when we worked for bigger companies. And so that's you know great that we can raise prices on clients that we dislike and, and lower them on the ones that we want to make sure yeah. we keep forever. And then we get to pick the people we work with. We have no excuse for disliking our coworkers, and that's a huge part of our day. Uh, and so liking people like Drew, our mutual friend, um, makes it really fun to, to fight through the challenges that come with running a business with people that you trust and, and want to actually work with. Yeah, I love that. So talk about owning your destiny, not just in how your day and your hours are spent, but then with whom and being super selective with yeah. uh, your coworkers and your clients both, which I love. And, and frankly, you touch on a point that I think a lot of people are, they're shocked sort of to suggest that you would ever turn business down but I run my practice much the same way and I feel like I want people who are stoked on me to be our clients and we want people that we're stoked about to be our clients and that's where the magic happens and I don't know about you but I encounter people that think well you that's crazy that you turn down clients just because you don't like them uh, but it sounds like you have the same philosophy yeah and I wouldn't say that I, I actively dislike any of our clients certainly none that are listening uh, but I think that the um there's, some just jive better, right? Well, there, there's some that are easier to work with for various reasons. And sure. uh, it may not be the fault of the individuals that we're working with. It may be cultural to the, the organization. Um, we joke internally, I won't name the client, but there's a client that pays more for what we do than any other client. But it's probably still less profitable for us because we have so many meetings with that client. Um, huh. And so, you know, we at the outset were deeply unprofitable with them until we got to know them well and realized, well, that's why they chose us because we just had no understanding of how much time it was going to take to, to walk from point A to point B with them. Um, sure. And that's, you know, that's something that I think a lot of startups uh, do wrong and, and we do wrong often still too is, is underselling or underpricing yourself and just trying to make sure you get business. Um, and not appreciating that the, the, the full accounting of, of the time in to do the work. 
it's always that fine line, right? Between being highly selective with your clients and at the same time struggling with not signing up as much business as you possibly can, because of course we're in this to be profitable. And along those lines, it sounds like you've managed to strike a really healthy, uh, I hate to call it work-life balance because I don't think that's a thing, but it sounds to me like you've got some pretty significant time that you're able to spend with your family on purpose. Is that fair? It is. I think, you know, I'd always like more of that. I think, uh, you know, the, the whole work-life balance concept to me, it, it's, um, there shouldn't be such a, a stark divide that work is this inherently bad thing and, and life outside of it is good. You know, there's, there's good and bad on both sides. Um, you know, I, I try and keep somewhat odd hours to be able to spend some of the awake time with my kids and, and wife and, yeah. um, certainly could always do more of that, but could always do more on the business too. And, and so I try and avoid, uh, feeling too much regret about either side because there's, there's never a perfect approach and, and not enough time in the day to do both nearly as well as I'd like to. I love it. And that is the pull of the entrepreneur, isn't it? It's that vacillating spectrum of which front are you crushing it on today and knowing that you can't crush it on all fronts all the time, which is hard. Um, and so how do you manage your stress outside of family and outside of work? What's your thing? What's your outlet? Yeah, I still, uh, still play pickup basketball. Uh, my wife would, probably chuckle uh, and, and say still play a lot of it. Um, but I, the way I see it is I've only got a couple of years left where, uh, where, where the body holds out and I, I don't become the, ah. old, the old guy who just uh, wears too many knee pads. So okay, still, uh, still enjoy that. And it's, it's been a big part of my life uh, beyond that, you know, try and enjoy them in Denver here and uh, try and get up to the mountains when we can. I can't ski, but uh, you know, very much enjoy the, the summers and, and love now that we're, we're getting towards the time that I enjoy it up there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I would pace cycling, but Drew and, and you would, uh, would judge me for <laughs> no judgment for pace. Uh, no judgment. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe Drew would judge you cause he's, you know, he's judgy, but no, I won't judge you. <laughs> hey, anybody that's riding a bike at any time makes me super happy. So I'm glad to hear that you do ride. It's a good way to keep yourself healthy for basketball. It's, it's um, way better than running, you know, just, amen. Uh, yeah. Running amen. And so it sounds like you and your wife both come from college basketball backgrounds. Is that right? We do. Yeah. So we actually, uh, we met through one of her, uh, teammates who I've known all my life. Um, and the basketball world, as you get taller and taller becomes smaller. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, my dad, uh, played with, uh, one of my wife's teammates, dad. Uh, and so that's how we got to know each other. And, uh, she played at UConn and then, then in the WNBA and, uh, I played at Yale. And of course we didn't date when we were only an hour drive apart. Uh, we did, oh, wow. did hang out and we were friends and then, uh, years later reconnected. So that's cool. So who is the better basketball player? Well, in terms of, uh, skill, clearly her, but I also, I, I probably weigh a hundred pounds more than her, so I can really ah. take the the basketball part out of it and just uh, you know the brute force part is all you. The, yeah, <laughs> the back of the court, love it. Do you two ever play pickup together, or does that get too tense? No, it's you know I think it, I, I feel very lucky that as as a guy, like pickup basketball is a really common thing. It's it's not as common for women, and right. uh, especially at the level that she was at, like there, you know, there's a, a big divide between where she was and the, the women that are around that would play. 
the other option for it is to play with guys, and that's almost worse because uh, guys are terrible. Uh, either they see it as their Super Bowl and they're just dangerous, or they sure. play her differently, and that's not reasonable either. So sure. uh, she's in a, a kind of terrible spot with being able to, to keep playing, but we do enjoy shooting around and uh, you know, non-competitive uh, enjoyment of basketball. I love it. Well, let's switch gears for a second and tell us about this uh, startup. And then I want to take that kind of big picture life exploration type stuff. Um, but for those of us outside the startup world uh, who don't know a whole lot about customer satisfaction surveys, in a nutshell, what, what is it that Chorus does? Yeah, so uh, the way that we kind of put that succinctly is that we let clients get in the mind of their customers at scale. Uh, and so what that means is we've got a survey builder uh, that's really robust and competes on the top end with the fully paid Qualtrics and uh, SurveyMonkey and other uh, products. We make it free and we make it collaborative because where we uh, really set ourselves apart is in getting the data that, uh, that our clients need, uh, as well as then in, in helping them to get the insights out of it. So uh, we've got 80 million respondents in 135 countries. We automate translation to 60 languages, uh, and we've got wow. human translators on demand to 45 languages uh, so that we can get the opinions of people all over the world, uh, often within a matter of minutes. Um, and so when we work with our clients, uh, collaborate on our platform, we come up with what it is they need to know. We help them to figure out how to get that data, uh, how to potentially join it to other data or transactional data, data that they may have. And then that's where our statisticians come in and some of our background as consultants come, comes in to understand what does it mean and how does it guide key business decisions. Uh, so which market should I enter or uh, which new product should I launch or how much should I charge for those products? Uh, who's my target customer? Uh, and, and increasingly lately, uh, should I invest in this business or not? Is there actually the consumer demand uh, for it beyond their their history? So as we mm. deal with like private equity clients, for example, uh, it's, it's easy to look at past performance, but looking at what's future potential look like, uh, we've, we've done a lot of diligence work now too. Makes total sense. And as someone who constantly gets these, you know, customer feedback surveys by text or by email, it's become really apparent that companies want this data. I would say this has become really big in the last... I don't know, five to six years or so. And so to what do you attribute this sort of uh, corporate shift to really desiring feedback from customers? Has it just become that much more competitive or is there something else going on here? I think there's a number of factors. You know, for one, obviously, the how competitive it is and, and how much uh, new entrants are, are challenging these large players has made them uh, need a, a faster edge to say, okay, what are people actually going to like? And we can't launch failure. Uh, products mm -hmm. uh, or make bad decisions. Part of that is also, uh, you know, confirming decisions. So we've got folks that that come to us who have a, a hypothesis about what they want to do, and our role is to confirm that so that uh, later, you know, for one thing that their their decision was justified, but for another, uh, we can dig deeper to say, okay, if that doesn't work out, then what were the assumptions that we missed, and, and how can we? learn and learn with our clients as an organization, what do we need to, to figure out next time to, to see if it's going to be successful? Um, so there's, there's a number of factors at play. I think there's also um, just a, obviously, you know, big data being the zeitgeist that it is, uh, <laughs> having 
not just a buzzword happy company, but a, a company that's coming to our clients and saying, you know, we can help you actually make decisions and, and you know, make sense of data. We're not just selling buzzwords or, or a bucket of data. Uh, our clients really enjoy that. They, they, they don't know that they've necessarily made good investments in, in other solutions. And so our position has been we've got to go further than just uh, asking yeah. clients. We, we've got to understand them. Yeah. And I can imagine that as a business owner sitting down and being inundated with all these feedback responses or what have you. And I'm sure there's all kinds of great ways to kind of condense it down into bar graphs and pie charts and things. But but then pragmatically saying, awesome, I have all this data. What the hell do I do with it? How do I improve my customer experience uh, or to all the things that you mentioned? Um, and I think this is just so interesting because there's a lot of psychology at work in what you're doing. And I imagine that a lot of what you gather surprises you sometimes, doesn't it? It, it does. I, I've stopped thinking that I have any sort of inclination or, or understanding <laughs> of humanity, um, which is good. I, I think it's a good place to get to. That, okay. You know, it's it's helpful to just ask people rather than assume things. Right. Um, right. And it, it also kind of gets to the way that we've tried to operate as a business internally is, you know, if you doubt something, well, Try asking somebody, you know, did you, did you ask them first? Well, no, then, you know, you maybe should before you make a decision or, or think, you know, right. what they want. Um, so I think that's really helpful. And, and you, know, you mentioned how many surveys you get. I think that makes it all the more important that we do these things well, because nobody's ever said, yay, a survey. Like that's not no. the position that anyone takes, but we all you know, want our opinions heard. We want people to react to how we feel about things. And so when we do this well, people are actually very engaged and excited to, to contribute to how businesses operate and what they put forward and how, you know, we have some public sector clients as well, how, uh, how they move forward with, with policy decisions. So there's a, a need to make surveys, not such a bad word, uh, right. because the data is ultimately what we all want. Right. And I, yes, I think the more consumers start to feel like their voices are not only heard, but that positive changes are made as a result of taking the time to give that feedback. That's the big thing. And um, my mom would always tell me, if you have time to write a complaint at a, a business or a restaurant, you have time to give a compliment. And I've somewhat seen surveys that same way, where it's a great opportunity to give a company kudos or positive feedback, as well as an opportunity to say, hey, I think something needs to be changed. And we do only have limited time and energy to devote to those surveys, but it at least makes me happy to know that companies are paying big money to have those responses analyzed in a way that they can actually turn them into actionable items through a company like yours at Chorus. Um, so that's really exciting. And I suspect that you're seeing that, right? I mean, I would hope that your clients who are paying you all this money are actually using that data to do better. Yeah, I think, you know, we actually, you know, we talk earlier about turning away clients, we do decline opportunities when we talk with clients and, and realize at the end of it that there's nothing that they're going to change no matter what they learn. Ah, um, yeah, that's not fulfilling for you at that, it, at that level. It's not fulfilling for us. It's not a great way to build a long-term relationship with that client when they circulate right. something and all they get is side eye from people that say, well, why'd you spend money to do that? Um, right. And typically they have a need. It's, you know, we'd rather they save the budget for something that they do need. Uh, at, at a later date. And so um, it's, it's just an all, all around better approach to 
to work with clients first to say, all right, what are we actually testing here and, and what might you change based on what you learn? And if we can't get a good answer there, then, you know, maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe we don't need to, to waste your customer's time in giving their input. Uh, we can save those, you know, save that goodwill for a better purpose. That's right. Without disclosing any names or confidentialities, are you able to give a somewhat recent example of a company or a client that took some of the data it got back and made a fairly significant change in its practices or client handling? Yeah, I think a, you know a fun one. Uh, I can name a, a startup client that we uh, we've worked with, uh, Provoro. They make high end smartphone cases, uh, and when I say high end, okay. I mean uh, similar price at times to the the phone itself. Uh, wow! With really remarkable technology to to control the flow of uh, of data and, and the privacy around having a phone, uh, so they sell into the intelligence community and, and high end executives who at times need their phones to be in a Faraday cage and, and not uh, flowing, you know, any sort of information in or out. Um, so we've done a lot wow. of research for them related to pricing. We've done research related to new product launches. And as we've done that, we've helped them to uh, to bring better products to market. We've helped them to refine their pricing to maximize revenue. Uh, and we've, we've also uh, helped them make some decisions about what not to move forward with, which I, I think is often lost in uh, in how we think about decision-making. You know, some of the best decisions we make are what not to do with our time. Uh, and, right. and that's, they're a great client for how well we work together, uh, how clever they are, and, and how... Uh, how fun and interesting their product is. So if, if you're in the, you know, somehow uh, any spies listening, uh, look up Provoro and, and go buy a case. I'm on their uh, website right now. This is really amazing. And it's certainly been top of mind here at the law firm with the type of stuff that we work on and just protecting our clients' data. This is fascinating. So I, I can see um, this is pretty cool. And that's cool to hear that they, you know, took those surveys to heart. Um, Again, I just, as a consumer, like to know that surveys do create action on part of most companies, hopefully, they, they do. the time and, that we spend. Yeah, they, these guys are, uh, you know, this is one of those examples of something that I didn't know there was a market for. I'm not a customer for it because uh, I am pretty privacy flippant in my own life, not with our, our, yeah. our customer data. We are maniacal about it. Um, yeah. But it's something that, you know, when we put it out there, these are the sorts of things that shock me on wow, there's a lot of people that are really concerned about this and, and are really good potential buyers. Right on. So of all the companies that you see and work with and deal with, what um, what's the one arena or, um, I guess, type of company that you don't see soliciting customer feedback or that doesn't seem terribly bothered by knowing what its customers think? Is there one that you never hear from? Uh you know, we, we've got clients across a number of industries, restaurants, retail, consumer packaged goods, insurance, financial services, uh, pharma, healthcare. So I would say it's it's more of a company-specific thing than a, an industry-wide uh, one. I think that there's sometimes budget constraints that prevent uh, folks from doing what they'd like to do. Uh, I, I don't think that there's any client we've talked to or approached that doesn't want to you know, one, obviously make better decisions, but make those decisions on the basis of something really objective and, and clear and, and uh, that makes those ambiguous paths more uh, more easily navigable. Um, 
I would say that there are clients, and, well, maybe not clients, but uh, businesses out there that it would seem don't necessarily do a great job of this that ironically do. And, and uh, ah. we often point to uh, Frontier Airlines, who's not a client of ours, but one that we actually look at and think that, you know, despite how much people may poke fun at their in-flight uh-huh. experience, um, they've done a great job at understanding uh, what matters most to a key customer segment, and that's huh. low price. It's a coherent strategy. And so they have focused maniacally on the one thing that matters most uh, <laughs> and that's, at, at the expense of other things because that's right. there are trade-offs. And so that's right. you know, I, I think that's where folks who complain, you, you referenced you know, how easily we can now complain about businesses and how they treat us. Um, yes. you know, sometimes those are conscious decisions and we forget about the other things that those businesses are doing for us uh, in place point. of what they're maybe not doing well. So That's a good point. Yeah, they have to choose, as you said, their target customer. And that is going to mean certain things fall by the wayside. You know, something else I'm hearing in your voice, Jason, and in your description of the life that you live is that all of this is very much by design. And I feel like you live a very intentional life. Um, nothing strikes me as happening, happening accidentally, although you've attributed some of your success to luck. I suspect more of it has been attributable to hard work. Was there a point in college or post-college or at some point when you said, I'm going to go a different route than the one that they've been, you know, preaching to me that you're supposed to do, uh, work hard and retire and then live kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think I've always, uh, liked the idea of a, of a little bit more freedom. So I think that's certainly been intentional. Um, uh, I don't know that this particular business has been, uh, intentional from the start as, you know, as I said, there was kind of a, a series of, uh, of events that led to this making sense uh, as sure. something to start. Uh, if I'd had my choice, I you know, would have been able to jump a little higher and, and be, uh, be paid to play <laughs> ball. But um, I think that sure. I had a good sense early on that, uh, you know, showing up uh, when other people tell me to and, and doing exactly what they tell me to do every day and uh, seeing limited upside to my own incremental effort uh, was not really what I was in the mood for. Uh, so our successes, our failures, we, you know, we have only ourselves and luck to blame. And, um, you know, that's, that's been a, a better way to live in many ways. There's certainly downsides to it. I, I don't think startup life is for everybody and I can't pretend like sure. every day is, uh, is absolutely wonderful here. Um, sure. you know, that's, uh, it is challenging to, to build something. Um, but I think if you know yourself, and, and we've had this conversation with uh, folks that have been on the team that it wasn't a good fit because they needed more cash flow or more stability. Um, sure. I don't think a lot of people necessarily know what they want really well. And, and that's, uh, you only really figure that out by experiencing different things. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you strike me as someone who's probably, with what limited free time you have, always sort of... Um, invested in personal growth or development, or at least kind of always trying to be your best self. I'm not sure why I'm picking that up on you, but I just am. Uh, are there books or resources that you just love or that you can't get enough of when you have a second to read or podcast that you love to listen to? Uh, there's, you know, I, I, I try and keep the, uh, the tab expansion on my browser to a minimum because uh, 
people <laughs> tend to send me a lot of articles and, and I find most of them interesting and can't say that there's any narrow set of topics that, <clears throat> uh, that really pick my interest more than others. Um, okay. Tough to, tough to make it through a book these days that, you know, little kids and, uh, and have a couple by the bedside that have, uh, have landed on my nose more nights than, uh, <laughs> than I've made it through enough pages. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I do kind of treat reading an article throughout the day as a little break. Uh, it's, it's my version of smoking, I guess. And, uh, that's both helpful in, in keeping me interested in lots of different things and taking away things from different arenas. Um, sure. as well as being able to focus on the work when I'm head down. So how do you and your wife, both collegiate athletes, manage your own personal health with the business challenges and the, the parenting of young children? Do you have a routine that you both try to follow to get workouts in as much as possible? Or has a lot of that had to had to take a time out? Yeah, we do. And it's, it's funny, actually. Uh, my wife has been starting uh, her own little thing. Is, is she's a nurse practitioner and uh, she just started working for CU Sports Medicine and uh, working on people's knees, shoulders, uh, I guess, you know, heads and, and toes. But um, <laughs> in thinking about the last couple of years and, and how exhausting the little kids can be, the business can be, uh, we both have felt very similarly that if we don't get a workout in, if we don't have time for ourselves, then uh, it actually makes us worse in, in the time that we are together. And so we do try and make sure we, we nudge each other. Hey, you know, you need to, to go That's get time great. for you. You need to go work out. Uh, so she's been putting together a program for, uh, for folks to be able to work out from wherever they are and, uh, be able to get some nutrition advice and support, uh, because it is challenging for, uh, for working parents. And, and I recognize in how much more is asked of her in raising the kids and how much more the kids want her, uh, how hard it is for, for working mothers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that we, uh, we want to set a good example for our kids too, that staying healthy is important. Yeah. Well, I love that you prioritize it. I think that's, that's a really important takeaway. Um, even when people recognize that their plates are completely full, also recognizing that they show up the better version of themselves with it, as opposed to letting the workouts go. Not, not always easy, but always worth it. Um, and so kind of on that note, you know, what advice or suggestions would you give for people out there who are perhaps in that floundering space and trying to move towards a life of design and, and intentional living? I know you've got your plate full, but I think that's also what makes you the perfect person to give this advice. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's okay not to know what you want. Uh, it's okay not to know what you want to do ultimately. Um, but I think obviously the business I run asks a lot of questions. And so it can be really a corny, uh, and, and, you know, local news type tie in to say, well, you know, ask a lot of questions. Um, and we ask a lot of questions about like, what do we want to be doing? Where do we want to live? What do we want to, uh, you know, what experiences do we want our kids to have? What types of schools do they, you know, do they need to go to? It's okay to keep asking those things. Um, because if you don't, then you certainly aren't going to figure out what it is that you want. Um, that's right. And it sounds like giving yourself permission to ask those questions is also a big part of that. Yeah. Instead of letting the shoulds creep in. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think about the, uh, how important a wife has been to 
the business growing. Like it, it's, it's also important to have people that can question what you are doing uh, and uh, can be a sounding board for, you know, that sounds like a terrible idea. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe it is a terrible idea or uh, in the other direction, if, if I have a tough day uh, that I don't, necessarily vent to the employees, but that I can just talk with her about, you know, this was a rough one. Uh, X, Y, Z didn't happen or this contract didn't come through. And, um, you know, those, those stressors pile up for people. And and I know that I'm very lucky to have the support system that I have to, to be able to get through those days. I think that's, um, there's somewhere for everybody to turn for that and you got to find it. Sure. Who you surround yourself with. Both at work and at home is critical, I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. So I always like to wrap up the show by asking people a somewhat sad question, but I believe that when we begin with the end in mind, we can work towards it, just like a training plan for a a race or an event that we work towards. And and so I always like to ask a question from Stephen Covey's book, uh, which first chapter is begin with the end in mind. What what is the legacy that you hope to leave behind or what do you hope that people will say in your, in the eulogy about you, Jason, what is the mark that you want to leave? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, for me, it kind of starts with the kids that, you know, they ultimately will have better lives than, than we've had. Um, you know, I think that's really what my wife and I value most. Um, beyond that, I think, uh, I think about the people that we hire and, and the, the way that I try to, to approach everything they do. I, I want to make life less stressful for people around me and um, make it easier. So the, the super corny, easy response and make the world a better place to me means, did you make it easier for people to, to enjoy their, their days, their lives? Um, mm. And in some way uh, just make, uh, make things a little bit less friction uh, to, to get through a day. Um, I like that. And we as employers have that unique opportunity, and I think a lot of people miss that, and they think that employing people, for example, is just a means to an end when, in fact, it's this really incredible opportunity to touch other lives on a daily basis. So I love that you shared that, and as well for your spouse and your kids, too. That's huge. Yeah. You know, we're uh, ultimately a couple hundred years from now, unless we uh, we're one of a handful of people, you know, very, very few, uh, names survive in the history books. So, um, that's right. We can just, uh, make life a little better for everybody around us. And that's pretty good way to go out. I love it. All right. Well, the takeaway is, um, respond to the customer surveys, <laughs> uh, hire chorus. If you own a company who wants to process its customer feedback and marry the right person, surround yourself with incredible support. Uh, team. I think I, did I get that right? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> just be, be really lucky. Uh, Cause that's, it beats out a lot of things. I, I think the, uh, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Stuart Butterfield of Slack the other day, and he talked about all the blades of grass on a golf course. And, you know, they're all shouting at each other saying the golf ball is going to land on me. And then the one that it lands on says, see, I was right. And uh, oh my gosh. I, I think, you know, again, we, we, I try and remind myself where the luck actually is in my life. And there's a hell of a lot of it. So, uh, that's cool. Recognizing that we are all just blades of grass keeps things in perspective. Indeed. Yeah. Right on Jason. Well, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you, um, doing this interview. Yeah. Thank you. 
And for our listeners, we will have a link to the Chorus website on the Maximum Enthusiasm webpage so that people can check out more about Chorus. And I believe that you have a free demo on your website, right? Uh, we do. So if uh, if you'd like a demo, reach out to us. You can uh, you can email me directly, jason at cor.us. Um, Perfect. And uh, we'd love to offer your listeners uh, some some discounts on their first purchases with us. So depending on whether they just want data or if they want services, then uh, just mention this podcast and, and we'll uh, do the, the first project for you at cost. Right on. I will make sure to include those details on the website too. Jason, thanks so much and good luck to you and your chorus endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hotman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com. Hey everybody, this is Stu from Relish Studio Digital Marketing, encouraging you to activate what you have heard today on Maximum Enthusiasm. Get outside, do something nice for somebody in need, call your representative, pick up some trash, reduce your footprint, join a movement like 1% for the Planet, support the local food economy through an organization like GoFarm Colorado, just live your life with maximum enthusiasm. If you need some help or ideas on ways to put your energy in motion, reach out to me at relishstudio.com.